this morning? Who got up an hour earlier than they needed to and realized after they got up an hour earlier than they needed to and couldn't get back to sleep again? Oh, well. Um, how about you guys? I was really blessed by Mark's message last week. Didn't he do well first time out, you know? We were blessed by that. Um, and he spoke to us about waiting on God and, um, you know, he gave us every reason under the sun why we have to wait on God. Um, I don't know if you know, but if you say amen, God hears you. And um, God made me wait for this one this week because I was saying amen all last week to waiting on God. And God made me wait. And um, I'd like to agree with you, Mark. Waiting is very good for us, but I don't like it either. Uh, it can be hard work. So I feel like I've got something to share with you this morning. But this word came to me, and I tried to discard it. Um, being in ministry, my desire is to preach the word of God to you, to disciple you, to build you up where I can. But the word that came to me was evangelism. So I just thought, God, I can come up with something better than that. So I put that to one side, and I was thinking and thinking and thinking, but nothing came up. And I was stuck on this word, evangelism. You've got to come to the conclusion in your Christian life, here's a little bit of wisdom for you. The Holy Spirit is smarter than us. The quicker we come to that, the easier our lives will be, and it can save us a lot of time going off and doing other stuff we're not meant to do if we just listen to what he says. That's nothing to do with my sermon, but that's just a bit of gold for you there this morning. So today, what I want to do is talk with you about evangelism. I know when I mention the word to you guys, that something in your mind, I see some eyes rolling already because I know the subject. This is why I need to deal with it. But I know that perhaps to your mind, some methods of evangelism will come. Maybe you see soapboxes or crates and megaphones and microphones or maybe you see people on the streets handing out tracts. Or maybe you see people doing worship on the streets. Maybe we've got power evangelism where you see that people go out and heal the sick. Or they go out and they do treasure hunting, right? So they go out with words of knowledge. These are all methods of evangelism. What I don't want to do today is talk to you about a method of evangelism. Because methods of evangelism are all about context. You know, three years ago, we went to New Wine, and Francis Chan was there. You heard of Francis Chan? And he's an evangelist. And so for one week, you have Francis Chan staring at you, telling you to go, go, go. Preach the word, go out, do the stuff. And so we're going bonkers by the end of this week. And we come back, and as a fellowship group, we had a men's fellowship group, we were saying, we've got to do something. We've got to get out. And so one Wednesday night, we thought, right, let's just go out. Let's go treasure hunting around Perryvale. We learned a couple of things. One, there are not many people around at 8 o'clock at night in Perryvale. <laughs> and two, if there were people around, they crossed the road because a bunch of eight guys are walking in the dark towards them. So methods of evangelism are all relevant to where you are, who you are, and who you're around. So we're not talking about methods of evangelism today. What I want to do is get to the heart of evangelism. This is a little bit far away. I'm going to come a little bit closer. What evangelism is all about. I just want to start by saying that there can be a, a couple of extremities, a couple of extremes with evangelism. And if you take something to an extreme, you can end up with a heresy. 
something that is not true. And so to one extreme is this, that it's all on us to save people. You know, I went to a, a Bible college and they were very missions-based. So it was all about going out, sharing the word of God, mission, outreach, saving the lost. And so every day I would go into town on the tube and there would be hundreds of people. I'd see hundreds of people and I would sit there and not talk to any of them. And I think this is all my fault that they are going to hell. I thought I was a terrible Christian. That's an extreme, okay? But there's an extreme on the other side too. And that is that we have no part to play in the process. In the church, you've got evangelists. It's all good. They go and do the stuff. I'll come, I'll sit, I'll listen to the word of God. But it comes to sharing the faith that I have. Well, that's on them, not on me. The pendulum can swing from one side out there to the other side out here. And what we need to do is know what the word of God says about evangelism. So what I want to do this morning is look at what it is not and what it is, some principles, and finally, our motivation for evangelism. I started out, I looked at the Oxford Dictionary because that's always a good place to go for meanings. This is what it says. The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Perhaps that definition is no surprise to you. That's quite a general terminology for evangelism, right? But there's something about that term, personal witness. I've never liked it. I've never liked it. And and it's not nothing to do with what the scripture says, but it's more to do with what I've heard people say. And it's not come through this church, but these are the things I've heard before. How many people have you witnessed to? Or how many people have you led to the Lord? And it becomes this performance-related activity that is tagged on to your Christian life. If you struggle with evangelism, or if you have struggled with evangelism, it might be because you have seen it in a certain way. I'll, I'll give you a definition of maybe how you've seen it. This is how I saw it. Some removed, cold, non-relational, agenda-driven, verbal, salesman technique to get people to say a prayer. Maybe that's been your experience. Maybe not. You know, Jeff Lucas, have you heard of him? He's a teacher and he does loads of Bible study stuff. And he, he said once he was at the train station and he was queuing to get a ticket for a train. And this man come up to him very abruptly, very cold in his face. And he says, where are you going, heaven or hell? And Jeff Lucas looked at him and he said, actually, I'm going to Aldgate. (laughs) But there was this cold, abrupt, in your face, just getting in there like that and and just a cold question. And and for me, I saw this and and I've seen this and I thought like, oh, that's just not relational. It has no impact on people. It's just going and saying something, making a statement at them. In Kentucky, it's in the Bible Belt, and you, and you drive down the roads, and there are big billboards, and some of them, you know, McDonald's or, or theme parks, and then there's others that say, where are you going, heaven or hell? Cold. Non-relational. Selling a product. Now, one of the first times I did evangelism, actually, I was with Joel, we went to Sheffield, and uh, we went up to Sheffield, and we went into Sheffield Town Centre, 
and they, they set up in the middle of the town centre, they put like a flip chart, and they'd done something like a Pictionary game. And so what they would do is they would draw pictures, um, and then people had to guess what they were, and then they would preach off the back of the pictures. So they would draw like rats running, and people would guess it would say like rat race. And then they would say like life is a rat race, so on, so on. And what they would ask us to do as part of the team is to stand around in a circle around where they're doing this game. Why? Because a crowd draws a crowd. Um, and so we would stand around, and other people would come and do like this. But this is what they told us to do next. When people started coming, shuffle backwards behind them. And so people were coming and gathering around, and the whole team was behind them. Do you know why? Because the moment the word Jesus is mentioned, some people want to turn and leg it. But they couldn't leg it because they would turn around, and there's a ton of people behind them, and there's nowhere escape suit. And I thought, oh, that's quite clever, and you can say it's quite funny, but here is the issue. Here is the issue. It was like we had to force them to stay because what we had to give them was not worth staying for. Do you, do you hear that? Do you know what the difference is between selling a Fiat Punto and a Bentley? A Fiat Punto, I love Fiat Puntos, it was my first car. If you've ever had a Fiat Punto, I'm not knocking them. But this is what you have to do. You have to constantly sell it. 0% finance, cash pack, no deposit to pay for a year. And if you don't buy it from me, well, there's another Fiat Punto dealer down the road who's going to do exactly the same thing because people want you to buy Fiat Puntos. But where do you ever see a Bentley on sale? When do you ever see a Bentley advertised out there like that? You don't. Do you know why? Because the Bentley is so good, the product sells itself. It doesn't need any help from us. Can I tell you that Jesus does not need us to sell him? We don't need to say, oh, please buy Jesus. Please buy Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. He is that treasure in the field that's worth giving everything for and selling it all so you can have it all. He is precious. He is far too precious to sell. Do you know what? If we limit evangelism to pressurizing people into saying a prayer, do you know what happens? They get talked into the kingdom. And do you know what happens if they get talked into the kingdom? They can just as easily be talked out of it. I prayed with someone once to receive Christ, and I remember it well. And it was like it was a forced situation. And the whole time I didn't feel right. The whole time I felt awkward. The whole time I felt this is not what it's all about. And I vowed I'd never do that again. Have you heard of Charles Finney? Charles Finney was an evangelist in the 1800s. And um, he was maybe the first evangelist to get into mass evangelism. So he, he would come and he would preach and there would be tons of people coming to listen to him. But he was extreme. And so what he would do is he would pressurize people to make a decision. I mean, you were not leaving that meeting until you made a decision for Christ. And so people would come and make decisions, but they wouldn't come to church. And their lives wouldn't be changing. And so he got them by pressure. Do you know how he had to keep them? Through pressure. Follow-up crusades, doing the stuff all the time. And this is what Charles Finney himself said. He said, let me tell you what he said exactly. My converts are a disgrace. If I had my time all over again, I would preach nothing but holiness. Evangelism is not selling. It's not pressurizing. I mean, think of Jesus. He had these guys come after him and he says, follow me. He didn't say, I'm going to push you. 
a, a, a young rich ruler comes to him and he wants to, um, Jesus says, what? he says to him, what do I have to do? And he says, well, give up everything. And he goes away sad, but Jesus didn't chase him. He didn't pressurize him. He didn't force him. We can't sell Jesus. Evangelism is not selling. It's not pressurizing. You might ask then, well, what is it? 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 18 and 20. I should read some scripture. I haven't done that yet, so we're on a little way and let's do that. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. 18 to 20, sorry. Okay. This is what it says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's important. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What an amazing bit of scripture. You do not have a message of damnation. You do not have a message of condemnation. You have a message of reconciliation. Do you know that God is not just not counting his sin, the sins against us? It says Jesus died for the whole world. Do you know he didn't just die for Christians? Do you know that? He died for the sins of the whole world. And the message we have is you can know this Saviour who died for your sins. It says more than that. It says we are ambassadors... Christ. Do you know, we went to Notting Hill recently and um, we're walking down, I can't remember the name of the street, but it's loads of like houses, diplomats and ambassadors houses. And so you walk down this street and there's ambassadors houses from all these different nations and some of these houses would have a unique identity related to the country they're from. So if you go past the Swiss one, it's like Alpine House. It's like really quite a crazy street we went down and what they do is ambassadors They carry the identity and they carry the interest of their nation into another nation. That's what ambassadors do. Can I tell you that evangelism is a little bit like that for us? We are to carry the identity of Christ and the interest of his kingdom into the world around us. That's what we are to do. We are to represent him, or I've heard it better said, we represent Jesus to the world. We've heard it this morning through that uh, prophetic word that his glory in us and his glory coming out of us. Representing Christ, showing off, sharing Jesus to the world around us. It's not scripture, I like it though, it says we are to know Jesus and to make him known. Make him known in the way we live our lives. We have something far too precious to sell, but something so precious we cannot keep it to ourselves. I want to look at some principles of evangelism with you now. That's what it is. It's us representing Christ, ambassadors for him. But let's look at some certain things that evangelism looks like. Um, Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to go into the uh, parable in detail, but you know it well. It's the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? 
So the, the, the sower, the farmer, goes out and he sows seeds across this field and some it lands on a path and some it lands on rocky soil, some grows up among the thorns and some lands on fertile soil and it produces a harvest. That's, that's the parable. And, and it can be used in many different ways. But I want to say that this is how we um, share Christ with people, by sowing seed. That's what we do. And every time we meet someone and we share Jesus either in our words or our actions, whatever we do, what we're doing is sowing seed all of the time. I just wanted to put that in as a, as a preempt for what I'm going to say. Because if you go down to uh, Mark 4, 26 to 29, this is something very important that we need to know. Listen to what it says. This is another parable Jesus taught. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own, first the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. I want to say something to you that's going to help you so much. You do not save people. <laughs> See, that parable before says you, you scatter the seed. This says it grows what? By itself. We do not save people. Our job is to scatter seed, to represent Christ, to share Christ. It is not to save souls. Jesus came to what? To seek and to save the lost. Praise God, it doesn't say, Lemia came to seek and to save the lost. Dave Edwards, praise God, it doesn't say that you came to seek and save the lost. Even Dave Gatton, you're so holy, but you didn't even come to seek and to save the lost. <laughs> Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If you have the weight on your shoulders of saving people's souls, can I say to you, that is a weight you are not supposed to carry. What does Paul say? One plants, one waters, God gives the increase. Each day the Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Jesus saves. We just sow. That's how it works. Um, maybe in your life you can see before you were saved just how Christians might have come around you and there might have been seed going in from different people, and one is planting and one is watering. You might see that in your life. I look back at my life. I left school when I was 16. I didn't know what I was going to do. I went to work with my uncle, and it just so happened I worked with one woman. And every lunchtime, this woman would get a Bible out. And so I'd sit there, and I'd ask her questions. And she would tell me, can I tell you what was happening? Seed was going in. I left that job and I went and got another job and I worked with this guy and we used to go clubbing together. He was in nightclub promotions. So it was really dark, you know, and we used to go and do all this stuff. And he got in a bit of trouble. I didn't see him for about two or three weeks. He came back to work. I didn't drive at the time and he drove down the road. He picked me up and I get in his car and all I hear in the car is, Jesus, through the radio. And I look at him and he goes, oh man, Jesus changed my life. That's seed getting watered. In me. I'm freaking out, but seed is getting watered in me. I leave there. Bethany's mum gets saved. And I'm starting to freak out a little bit more because when I'm speaking to her, seed is starting to go in. And I tell you what's happening. God is growing it. I met Andy Radford here. 
Some of you know him, some of you don't. And he came to my house one night, and I thought his sole purpose was to ram the gospel down my throat. And he did not mention Jesus to me once. And I got so angry. And I said, what about God? (laughs) And he told me a story. And it was like, I couldn't contain it anymore. Yes, Jesus, I want you. Because the, the leaf was starting to sprout out. But it was God, God who grew it. People were just sowing seed, watering seed. God saves, not us. You might feel anxious about some people you love who are not saved. Of course, we care about people and we want them to get saved, right? And if they don't know the Lord, we think, well, what do we do with that if they don't know Jesus? I'm going to show you. Luke 18, 35 to 43. See, it's hard if people are not looking for it or if they don't think they need it. Jesus shows us exactly what to do. Luke 18, 35 to 43. Cool. Right, that, that's all right. Okay. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Great story. What has it got to do with evangelism? That's what you're thinking. Do you know what? We can have an agenda with people when we know what we think they need. See, when I first got saved, I went into the office and I said to everyone, why aren't you a Christian? What? And they're like looking at me like, what are you talking about? What are you You've just gone nuts. You don't even know what you're talking about. It's just some weird thing you're into because if they don't get it. People who are not saved are like the blind man. They cannot see no matter what you say to them. They cannot see. So what you need to do is approach it at a different angle, not looking to give them or tell them what they need. Jesus asked him a question. What was the question? What do you want? He doesn't have an agenda with him. He didn't actually say, well, you actually need me. He asked the man, what do you want? Here's the crux of this. The man says, I want to see. And Jesus heals the man, right? Who is the first person that the blind man sees when his eyes open? Jesus, let me tell you this. The moment the blind man got what he wanted, he saw what he needed. And he went after him. Can I tell you that we need to deal sometimes in wants more than we do needs? We need to see where people are and what they're looking for, rather than putting on them something that we believe they need. See them where they are. That's what the cafe is. 
People come in because of, they want relationship, they're lonely. And so what we do is we meet some want that they have, but the desire is that they will see the one that they need through that. It's healing rooms, isn't it? Praying for the sick, meeting them in that place, asking God to come and touch them. Why? Because it's a sign. And what did signs do? They point to something, they point to someone, they point to Jesus, and they actually need Jesus more than they need the healing. But we are to meet them where they are and give them what they want. Paul said he became like them so he could win some. He got on their level. It's not our job to save. It's our responsibility to sow seed. We need to be sensitive. Meet them where they are, not where we want them to be. And as we are Christ to them, their wants, they will see what they need. God will give you opportunities. He will give you opportunities to share him with others. Do you remember Philip the evangelist and he's there and he's healing people and then God just catches him up in the spirit, drops him down next to a, a eunuch who's going in a carriage and I mean, it was on a plate. This guy's reading, reading through the gospel and he's like, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no, and he just explained to him, Jesus, I want to get baptised. Easy as that. God opened the door. Why? Because he was open to opportunities. We need to ask the question. We need to ask for opportunities to share the good news. And then when we do ask, we need to expect for opportunities to come. So that's what it says in 1 Peter. If someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. People are going to ask, and all you need to do is tell your story. You know, I was at my mate's wedding, and he made me best man, so I got to do a best man speech. And in the best man speech, I just brought God all over it. And, and I got to share scripture in the church, and so I read the Corinthians passage on love, and, you know, and when they were praying in the church, I was praying, God, please take them seriously, because they weren't Christians. And I was like, God, listen, don't, don't let them, you know, let them be changed and transformed by this. Do you know, after that wedding, five people come up to me and ask me questions about Jesus. Five people ask me questions. My mate's wife, get this, she sends me a text message three weeks later saying, I've just got the Bible out. Can you tell me where to start? I mean, I was on the phone in 10 seconds flat. Like, I'm like freaking out. It's like, these messages I live for, you know? And so sharing the gospel with her. But do you know all I did was take the opportunity? That's all I did. People sometimes will reject it. I, I, was, a, I was out at the park the other day. It's so funny. This lady come up to me and she says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm associate pastor in church. She goes, I didn't know they existed anymore. It was like we we're mythical creatures, you know, like unicorns or something. <laughs> But I think what we do sometimes is we think people don't want to hear the message. And we can say things like, you know what, this country is spiritually dry. I know some people were going to reject the gospel. I'm not knocking that. But you know people are hungry. At the ballot box down the road, do you know there's a psychic night going on in two weeks' time? Have you seen that? Do you know why? Because people want spiritual. And they're seeking, they're searching, they're hungry. But do you know what they're going to get there? They're going to get the counterfeit. Only we can give them the authentic. Only we can give them the authentic. So we share Christ through seed, through opportunity. I want to talk with you about a form of evangelism, not a method, but a form, and it's called clueless evangelism. It's my favorite type. Clueless evangelism. Let me ask you the question, who was the first evangelist in the Bible? I might be wrong, but I'm the one with the microphone, so it don't matter anyway. <laughs> Who was the first evangelist in the Bible? Come on, someone give me an answer. Someone shout something out. Be brave. Jesus. 
Noah, Steve Kapamel. Come and tell me why he was, no, no, I'm joking, it was like. I want to look at how Noah evangelized with you just for a couple of minutes. And I, I want to tell you about a couple of ways in which he evangelized, and I would call this clueless evangelism. Genesis 6-9, you don't have to come there. It says that Noah was a righteous man, a blameless person living on the earth, and he walked in close relationship with God. Can I tell you that if we walk in close relationship with God, we'll be involved in what I call clueless evangelism? There are many consequences Many consequences of walking in close relationship with God. But I want to pick a mark that is above all in my eyes. And that is that we would be full of joy. That's a scary thought, I know. But we would be full of joy. I'll tell you why. Listen to what Hebrews 1.9 says. And this is talking about Jesus. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Do you know what that verse says? Jesus was happier than any other person living. Jesus was happier than any other person on the planet. We see these traditional pictures of Jesus, right? And he's straight-faced, halo. Doesn't look happy about anything. Looks pretty miffed about everything. You know, you would never have recognized Jesus about a light glowing around his head, but you would have recognized him by the countenance on his face. Can I tell you that? People were drawn to Jesus all the time. Can I tell you, people are not drawn to miserable people. Is that true or not? People are drawn to happy people. I've got to tell you, that word joy, do you know what the definition of that word joy is that it says about Jesus? It's wild joy. Wild joy. It's like free Unhibited, just out there, joy. He would have just been so fun to be around. And some of our religious mindsets go, oh, that's scary. But that's what Jesus was like. As Christians, we should be full of joy. Why? Because in his presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. Why is there fullness of joy? Because Jesus is joy. He is joy. Religion tells us that God is not that much fun. God could never be happy. I mean, look at us. How could God be happy? That's a lie. He finds pleasure in us. As Bill Johnson says, God is in a good mood. And we need to see that. Because when we do, we will be full of his joy and we will release his joy into this earth. I told you how I, at the beginning, when I was going on the train and I'd feel like it was on me to save the world on the central line at least. And I, would, I was on the train one day and I'm there with my miserable face thinking I can't do nothing to change anything. And this guy was on the carriage and he sat there and he had his Bible open and I tell you, his smile was here to here. The whole time. And I just watched him for 20 minutes. I mean, if he saw me, I'd have, he would have thought I was a right freak. I'm just staring at this guy as he's reading the word of God. But he is full of joy. And I get off the train, and I, and I went to him, and I said, oh, man, I'm so encouraged. You've just witnessed to me. You've just evangelized me. And I think if I saw it, others saw it. He was evangelizing. He didn't even have a clue he was doing it. Full of the joy of the Lord. 
There's another way. It's again about Noah. In Hebrews 11.7 it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world by doing what God had asked him to do. His obedience to the Lord was evangelism to the world. Can I say to you that if you obey what God tells you to do, it becomes an ark in front of people. And no matter what you're doing, as long as you're doing what God tells you to do, people will see it. And that will either draw them or it will make them want to run a million miles away from you. Because of Noah condemned the world because they could have all got on the ark. So when you're not even doing this intentionally, you're not condemning people, you're not saying to them you're condemned, but by what you're doing, you're having an impact on people's lives that you do not know. I met this guy on Tuesday. I went up to Birmingham on Tuesday. I met this guy, and he was, um, he's a Christian, full of the Spirit. And he worked in, an optici- in opticians. And in his opticians, um, there was a girl who was really difficult to work with. And so he said, oh, man, I'm, I'm pretty good with people, but I really struggle with her. And God said to him, you've got to keep loving her. So he just kept encouraging her. He kept affirming her in, his, in her work all the time. she came up to him one day. She said, I'm leaving. And he said, why are you leaving? She said, because of you. He <laughs> said, why are you being like this to me? Why are you being no, not so nice to me? Why do you keep saying these things? And he said that they were just on their own and there was no one there for 20 minutes and he got to share the gospel with her. And she said, well, I just have to believe. I just have to believe. All he did was listen to what the Lord told him to do and went and did it and it was an ark. Do you know, to those that are perishing, we smell like death, and they will run or run a million miles away. But to those that are being drawn, we are a sweet-smelling fragrance of life. As Christians, we need to be Marmite. You need to love us or hate us. I, I, I fear most when the world is indifferent to us. I fear that most. And, it, and it, to those that are perishing, you know, God's will is none should perish. Pray for them. But to those that come, give them the good news. Share the gospel of Jesus. Clueless evangelism. I want to finish with one small thing, and that's our motivation in everything. This underlies everything I've just said. You know, I went to, when I was with Amanda, we went to Kentucky and um, went to the first church she went to when she got saved. And she said to me before we went there, When you go there, after the service, someone is going to approach you and share their testimony. Because what they want to do is, they're a mega church and they need to keep people coming in all the time because they need to keep paying the bills. So they want to share their story, find out if you're saved and then get you in the church. And so sure enough, after the service, this guy approaches me and he wings the conversation right around so he gets to share his testimony. I didn't ask what his story was, but he told me a story. And I mean, I, I said to him, I'm in ministry, and he, he, he kind of convinced me I wasn't saved. And as I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I need to, I'm going to hell, you know. I was like, because of, they had an agenda. They had an agenda to share the gospel with me was to get me into their church. Can I tell you, if we have an agenda, we miss it.
we miss it. If our agenda is anything but the liberty, grace, and love we have received from God, we miss the whole point. This is my left turn. Do you have an assurance that you belong to Jesus? Do you have an assurance that you're a child of God? Do you have an assurance that you'll be with Jesus when you die? Do you have an assurance that you are accepted in Christ? Do you have an assurance that if you share Jesus or not with people, it will not affect your eternal destiny? If we don't have that freedom as our motivation, we end up with an agenda. We end up with something that is an insurance that I hope it will pay out at the end. That I'm going to do everything I can just to make sure it works okay because I'm not sure if it's going to pay out. You know, I heard about this, um, this plane that was going down the runway and it was really blustery, really windy, and it was coming down. And it, this plane seemed to take forever to get up the runway and take off. And as it started to go up, all the people lifted their feet off the chairs, like off the floor, so they could help it get up in the air. Because <laughs> they were thinking it wasn't going to go up. Can I tell you that God does not need your help? God does not need your help. We have a liberty. We have a freedom. We are saved by grace through faith. Our sins are completely forgiven. has to be your motivation. I won't go into all of this, but in 2 Peter it says, make every effort to supplement your faith with provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control endurance, and endurance godliness, and godliness, godliness brotherly affection, and brotherly affection love for everyone. But guess what it says down here? It says, if we don't do it, we become short-sighted, forgetting that we have been cleansed from our sin. Basically saying, your whole Christian life, what you do in outreach, what you do in church, if you don't keep your eyes on the fact that God has completely forgiven you, completely wiped the slate clean, you're always going to have a motivation other than what he wants you to have a motivation for. And that is that he loves you unconditionally. Has to be your motivation. We want our evangelism to flow out of a freedom, not out of fear. And we'll proclaim him everywhere. You know, me and Amanda just said our three-year anniversary. And I, I, I just proclaimed it. I just told everybody. Because I love covenant. And I celebrate the covenant. And marriage is good. And you should celebrate covenant if you're married. But I tell you, we have a greater covenant. We have a greater covenant with our God. And it's all based on what he has done for us. And if marriage is worth celebrating, then celebrating what who he is to the world is definitely worth more than that. Listen, let me tell you, the more we know the love of God for us, the more we know him, the more we will want to make him known. Evangelism is revealing Christ, it's not selling him. He saves, not us. So let's be full of joy, responding to him, and make him known to the world. God bless you guys.
had a revelation in that, um, in your message. And the, the revelation is, um, you know the scripture that says um, the harvest is plentiful, but the reapers are few. And what you said was right, actually. The harvest is actually plentiful. Because actually what we've been doing is sowing seed. So the harvest is actually plentiful. And then it was like, the, the scriptures, but the, the reapers are few. So there's something about our reaping techniques that's not right or that needs to be looked at. And it was just, just really a revelation that just came to me. But actually, the harvest is actually plentiful. People do want to know. They, do, they are there waiting to know. But something about reaping that we need to tap into and how to reap.